This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? Uh, sorry, hold on. Uh, I'm good. How are you, Dave? Um, God, wires, 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 wires. I wires, mean, wires everywhere and not a drop <sighs> to drink. You went too fast, Dave. I wasn't completely prepared. I get it. I get it. But what is it about... Before I die, there are like mysteries in the world you want answered and you'll die peacefully and it won't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we die not knowing anything. Let's just say that. That's uh, true. But the, one of the biggest top three for me is when you just, I was just trying to get through my headphone wires, uh, plug in my headphone right now. It was in five knots. If I just put something down that has a wire attached to it, go away for a few minutes, come back. How is it in five knots? Are there little gremlins that come in and tie the knots? I want this answered. I will feel so good when I die if someone whispers this answer so in my ear. So I've actually looked this up before because <sighs> I, I, it drove me crazy. Um, and I think there's part of it is... Um, you looked this up? <laughs> I did. I, no, I, I looked you, this up Dave. several years ago because... Um, and part of it is me being a little bit disorderly that I don't like put you know, my headphones back in like a perfect circle. You don't have a little twist tie that keeps all the wires neat. But um, it's a math thing. So it's it's all about probabilities. There is only one way for a a non-rigid length of string to rest where it will not get tangled or knotted. Like it is, you know, just that perfectly straight thing. if it's in any other form, if it ever goes in your pocket, if it ever goes into, if it ever gets touched by another object and folds in on itself, any of this stuff, there are so many different ways for it to be tangled up, but there's only one way for it not to be. And so, uh, you know, probabilities. Uh, okay, is all that about makes time. sense, but it ends up in these, in how does it make it go into actual knots? I understand it can get kind of tangled. But it goes into knots. It literally knots. I don't. I don't believe it. I think it's got to be some weird knot gremlins. Yeah, probably not gremlins. Actually, um, <laughs> when you when you really think about it, it's it's something coming in when you're not looking. Your explanation, I get. But when you look at it and pick it up, and does that explain it enough for you? No, it never no. does. Like I don't understand how if I take headphones off of my you know, ears and I put them in my pocket and then I pull them out again, the sheer number of knots that have already formed in like the, the 10 minutes or whatever does defy, uh, you've got any pocket gremlins, which I've got pocket, gremlins. which isn't necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> they can give you a, a uh, we're PG, aren't we? Fun time. PC 13. Uh, what? What's wrong with, uh, you know, little gremlins in your pocket organizing things. <laughs> This will go here. Let me pin back that over there. Yeah. I don't want any pins going on in there. <laughs> well, I'm figuratively pinning something back. Yeah, definitely. Um, back. So. Yeah. Uh, we'll admit here. We'll readily admit. We've we had admit? so much to speak about every week. I admit nothing. This is a little bit of a light week mm. for UCLA information. But Dave and I are going to make it so exciting for you. I want to talk about email, Tracy. Um, yeah, because 
Yeah, Dave and I, this is another one of our little... Okay, let's just get out the non-UCLA stuff really yeah, fast. I, so I got to touch you, on this first. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. It goes into the whole not thing because uh, Tracy was asking me before we got on because we were trying to locate... It ties in. Don't worry about it, people. Uh, we were trying to locate our top 30s because we're going to talk about that at the end of the show. Uh, again, in football, because, top 30 most important Yeah, yeah, because we don't... Again, it's not a, not a news-heavy show today. Um and Tracy's like, oh, God, my email inbox. I, I had to spend, you know, a bunch of time yesterday just, you know, deleting a bunch of spams and unsubscribing and all that kind of stuff. And he asked me, uh, Dave, how much, how much time do you spend doing that? You know, how much uh, does that take like an hour every day? And I told him I spend zero time doing it. And the reason why is the same reason uh, that knots exist uh, in any length of string. It's, it's email has been ruined. Um, there are gremlins in email now where you, no matter when you signed up for your email account, uh, you will be immediately signed up for, um, you know, millions of spam emails from everything from like hotels you booked and you forgot to click the checkbox that tells you not to get emails. But frankly, even if you click that, you're still going to get emails from that hotel, uh, to that, I love that part. Unsubscribe. They take yeah, you yeah. through that BS, and you unsubscribe, and then the next day you get one from the same place. You totally. And so I, having worked on the marketing side of things, I know how all that works. So if you have a Mailchimp account or you have a Constant Contact account, you have these things called lists, and your emails aren't. So say you get an email from somebody, you you have their email address. So I've got Tracy Pearson's email address. And I put it in my database in MailChimp. And then I add it to certain lists. When you unsubscribe in your email inbox from one of those uh, services and you think you're unsubscribing from, say, the LA Times or Fairfield by Marriott or the New York Times or whatever it is, right? Those what are you're unsubscribing from, to, yeah, okay, what you are unsubscribing from, Tracy, is actually the list, but not the database that they have you in. And so they may add you back to a new list. It's, they're not supposed to. There's there's little warnings when you go to do it in your uh, in your mail service if you're working for a marketing company. Hey, you're not supposed to do this. These these people have unsubscribed, but you can still do it. So th- this okay, the knots things. Those are gremlins. That's extraterrestrial yeah. kind of stuff. Sure. This is we know what's going on here. <laughs> Pure human, you know. Wow, it's yeah. I've I have to delete. Emails. I can't do what you. So Dave and I are two different people. I I got to clean up my emails. Are we? <laughs> We're one guy in two voices doing a great job. The ventriloquism is amazing when Absolutely one of us stunning. talks over the other one. That's fantastic. But um, yeah, I can't. Uh, one of my biggest goals is to get my inbox down to nothing. That feels that. so good. And part of this process is deleting email, spam emails all day long. You don't do that. Do you want to know what my inbox currently reads as? I how don't. many unread it, emails it's are? It's going to make me so deeply, deeply give anxiety me, get, ridden. Get, give me your guess. I'd say, I'm going to go a little conservative and say 732. 23,109. Oh my God, Dave. Yeah. I need yeah. to t- I need to take some medication. And I have emails in here from 2008. But I mean I I get that but how do you find per I you you have to show a lot more uh, concentration going through emails every day to find the ones that are pertinent that day. That No, no no no. So compared to what uh, people who do zero inbox try to do, yeah, which is insane. Uh, I'm there, no, baby. I'm I at three right now. This. I scan through this, and I've got a. I can do a pretty good visual assessment of whether an email is valid or not. Uh, inevitably, it's like uh, 15 fundraising emails that all try to make it look like they're personal emails, and then you know, two or three that I actually need to read. Wow! Wow! Yeah, you're a, you're a better man than I am, Charlie Brown. Um, okay, so we've. Brought up two. Th- I know those two things: wires and spam emails are something you guys think about every day. I know it. So don't say we went off on a bad tangent because this pertains to your life. But Whatever. let's get. They're going to be wishing for the tangent like twenty minutes into this episode. <laughs> they are though, <laughs> because we're going to stretch really about six minutes worth of valid conversation into about forty. 
Let's right. talk about some breaking news. It's nothing broke, but let's just talk about the basketball roster. Um, mm-hmm. I did a story. You did a story. I did some stories talking about and recruiting. Uh, and basically... Uh, kind of assessing where um, the basketball program is with the international prospects. And like we said in the uh, our podcast last week, we gave it a low percentage that all four international prospects would be Bruins uh, for this upcoming season. But it's looking more and more likely. Uh, right now, the out really... Uh, I, we've got two that are kind of outstanding. That's the uh, still persisting UIP, unidentified international prospect. But as I said, it's looking good for him at this point. I gave it away. It's a him. So there you go. Oh. I know. Uh, and then the other one is a Daimara. And it's really, at this point, really nothing on UCLA's end. It's a contractual uh, conflict with his former team. And that just has to get sorted out. Talking with people who are familiar with the situation says uh, the Adaimara is holding the cards that he, he can do whatever he wants. And it's just a matter of how much flack his former team is going to throw at him and whether it's worth it for the Maras to just say, okay, you know, we'll settle on this, but um, that's kind of where it is. I mean, they're looking UCLA's looking pretty good to having all four of those guys on its roster next year, which would get them to twelve scholarship players. Uh, the way I look at it, it's uh, Darren Andrews would be starting at point guard, Jan Vide, uh, the Slovenian uh, lead guard, uh, who would be a freshman will probably slot in with his uh, with backup minutes of point guard. Um, the wings, I, I, wouldn't you say one of the wings, at least to start the season, Dave, uh, Lazar Stefanovic w- would probably be a starter? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think it's, it's certainly um, one of those things where having not seen him except in a Utah uniform, there's a little bit of trepidation, but... Going back to our um, precepts about Mick Cronin, I think he's going to want that experience on the floor, even if it's not experience under him, if that makes sense. Yes, an experienced player. So let's say to start the season, he's at one of the – he's at the, the larger – well, I mean, there are really three wings now, the way basketball is. There's the wing guard, there's the wing, and then there's the wing forward, which used to be a shooting guard, small forward, and power forward. Uh, he would start at – Probably what would be the small forward spot. Um, among the candidates for that wing guard or shooting guard spot would be Alon Fibloy, Will McClendon, Sebastian Mack, um, and Jan Vide. Um, yeah. So any one of those four guys, in my opinion, uh, just having watched enough tape, talked to enough people, I would give that to Fibloy. He has the most upside of talent among those four i wouldn't count out v-day though because he is a scorer <laughs> um he he led the fiba u18 world cup last summer uh, at like 21 points a game i think something like that uh i i don't think mcclendon has shown us that he would he would slot in with starter minutes uh it will be very interesting between mcclendon and sebastian mack who gets the most minutes off the bench as you said um, uh, Cronin tends to favor uh, his experience over inexperience. We saw that last year with McClendon, who I, I think we can all say just on the surface didn't necessarily garner the amount of minutes he, he might have been given. And we you could maybe see that happening again this year between McClendon and Mack. But I do know the program is and the coaches are very high on Sebastian Mack. So that's going to be very interesting. But among those four, who would you go with? I'm not even going to say as a starter. Let's just say starter minutes. Who would you Who would you say? Because so because McClendon didn't show a lot last year. I think you've got to assess it as like an upside play. Um, and 
then it's an interesting question. Um, and the, the, the issue for me is that there's interesting questions about who you're actually playing the majority of the minutes at each slot. Because my contention would be, as much as we may think a Dembona and a Daimara, if and when he ends up in school, are going to end up, you know, maybe both being quote-unquote starters, how many minutes are they actually going to be playing together? Uh, and 10 in that, to 12. <laughs> yeah, and in that instance, it's going to be um, like a Stefanovic playing the big wing uh, rather than just the, the small forward. And or, it's all about matchups, too. We have to say that. Totally. Yeah. And so then it becomes a question of, you know, maybe Fabloy is then sliding over to the three uh, right. or whatever we think of as the small forward these days. And then you've got like a three-man competition for that two spot. But I think if I'm going with it, I'm probably seeing what I can get out of Vide and Mac early on. And assuming Fabloy is getting a lot of minutes at the three, which I'm expecting. Um, but I'd be going with kind of that triumvirate, we'll call him, uh, at the 2-3. Um, with McClendon playing minutes, the thing is McClendon has to show. Wait, which triumvirate? You've got Vide, Fabloy, and Mac. Um, and where's Stefanovic? Stefanovic, then, because I'm 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 thinking about it. Okay, uh, you know, all things uh, being equal about the UIP, uh, Stefanovic is going to be getting some minutes at the actual four. Um, hmm, I don't see that. He's going to have to hmm. because Bona and Mar are not going to play more than twelve minutes together. Well, so, okay, let's not let's not. Well, let's do this based on. Instead of trying to do it based on what we haven't revealed, let's just say the UIP is is that wing forward. He's sure. more of a four. Okay. Well, then in that case, so you're going to have to have uh, Vida and Fabloy um, playing a considerable amount of minutes at the two. And then the thing is, I would have McClendon probably last in line uh, for minutes at the two. because uh, Mac has gets more minutes? Yeah, I would think so. Well, that's, uh, that's going to be really interesting to see how that works out. Well, they're going to need scoring um, from somebody. And I think that's going to be a priority for Cronin early on in the season and is to figure out, okay, where is my scoring going to come from? Because how much, how frustrating was it for a lot of us who um, were watching, say, that that year two when Johnny Juzang came in and we're all watching him really struggle defensively and not be very good offensively for much of the season – because Cronin was really, really, really trying to figure out, okay, who is going to be my guy at the end of games? And it worked out, but there were a lot of minutes spent on getting him ready to perform like he did in the final four. That's funny. I, I just, uh, I, I want to, that brings up a really that I, interesting point that I've thought about a number of times. Um, good defensive coaches and the ones we've seen firsthand, Ben Halland, Mick Cronin, have confidence that they can they want good defensive players but they have the confidence that at times that they can just about teach anyone to play decent defense but that they they want scorers they uh, and it's yeah. just not these two I've known other college coaches that's what they want defensive coaches want scorers you'd think they'd be going out looking for great defensive players they kind of aren't. I mean, they'll get a couple, but most of the time they're looking for scorers because they think, I'm going to have a great defensive team. I need someone to score. We yeah. we have written enough about that. It was kind of the down – it was one of the uh, uh, trends for Ben Hallen that, was, that contributed to his demise. Rather than still going out with his tried-and-true formula that sent him to three Final Fours, he went out and got some guys – he went out to try to get – elite scorers and ended up with non-elite scorers and his teams then suffered defensively. I yeah, can and say with, I have a little bit more confidence in Mick Cronin's defense. Well, and it's, yeah, it's not just, and it's, it's exactly that because it's um, yeah, his system works better for uh, putting, I won't say non-athletes, but putting a little bit lesser athletes in position to succeed defensively. And that's because Howland was so d uh, dependent on on-ball defense. Man-to-man, on-ball, that heavy hedging, all this stuff that requires really good lateral athleticism. Uh, Cronin's is much more switch-friendly. Um, he's willing to make adjustments to fit uh, the strengths of players um, in a way that Howland... I won't say Howland didn't, but... 
there wasn't a whole lot of deviation from his tried and true formula. And, um, and Cronin's a more flexible thinker. To make an excuse for Howland to remember, um, he had OCD. No, oh. well, um, <laughs> pack line defense wasn't as big of a thing back true. then, and everyone has kind of adopted it, um, a- including Cronin, uh, to where it's well, not, analytics. It, yeah, it's analytics. And maybe if Howland had employed that kind of defense, maybe he would have been in a better – it's so funny to go back and, and really think about some things with Ben Howland and just a few little things and if he had done them. Or there had been a different timing in college basketball if he'd still be at UCLA. Um, Cronin, though, does employ that type of defense, which – um, like you said, one of the elements of it, it can mask uh, defenders that aren't as great on ball or laterally quick, thus Johnny Juzang. Even though it was painful for us to watch Johnny Juzang play defense. And I got to say, last season, I watched every game, even some if they were struggling. It it was still it was the least painful season for me to watch because, damn, they played great defense. But, and this is a point I would make, is that there weren't, there wasn't enough, um, how do I say this without sounding mean? Uh, there wasn't enough roster optionality for Cronin to make those sorts of choices last year. They didn't have that many bodies. True. But if you look at each year he's been in Westwood, I mean, how long did they spend trying trying desperately to get Prince Ali ready to go. Um, it was the first two and a half months of that season. Yep. He didn't stop starting until mid-January, and that was because Cronin wanted scoring. And Prince Ali could create his own shot. It wasn't going to be a good shot, but he could create it. <laughs> it wasn't um, going to go in. And then a uh, ton of time spent on Chris Smith, who and Chris Smith was a vastly better player. But again, a guy who... Um, uh, I, I think if you were looking at him in high school, well, I don't know. Uh, the player he was was not necessarily a fit for what Cronin wanted to do um, in a lot of different ways. But again, a guy who can score. Um, and he wanted him to be that priority scorer um, and didn't really have the mindset to be that guy for Cronin. But again, a lot of time spent trying to get him going. Johnny Juzang was the same deal. Um, and so I think... Going into this year, um, Will McClendon, he has to show he can shoot. And and not just um, a, a little bit like when he's wide open, but um, that confidence piece that he seemed to be lacking. I mean, because that was a, a lot of people analyzing the shot mechanics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can have horrible shot mechanics and shoot a lot better than Will McClendon did last year. Uh, that was a that was a mental thing. Um, yeah. He's got a. He's got to spend some time this summer and figure that whole deal out so that when the lights are on, he's shooting okay because he wasn't shooting like that in practice. He was shooting fine in practice. Um, and so I think he's going to have to show that he's broken out of that to have a reasonable shot at competing with these three uh, at the two. Uh, and uh, just further emphasizing, I think the difference with Cronin too is that he wants to find scores. We've seen that. Um, and he will do it at the expense of of uh, one that player being a great uh, personal defender. Yep. But what he what he's looking for are basically scorers that are tough. Yep. Tough minded, tough physically, because then even if they can't necessarily stay in front of the ball, if they are tough mentally, I think the theory is they will overall be have the chance to be good defenders. And that's that's different than Halland. A lot of the offensive players he brought in were not mentally or physically tough. So um, I, I think it's going to be using all that criteria we just said, it's going to be very interesting to see how the rotation – at that, uh, at the two and the three, the wing guard and the wing happens. I, I'm really convinced about Stefanovic that as soon as they start practicing, Stefanovic is going to show uh, not only the experience, he's going to be able to shoot and score. 
he's going to show that toughness. Uh, they went after Stevanovich, who at the time wasn't one of the uh, bigger names in the transfer portal. One of the reasons they went after him is he was very, they were impressed, the staff was impressed with him when they played Utah because of his toughness. Um, I know that's what impressed them. So I, I think Stefanovich is going to play a very, a, a very prominent role in the season. If V-Day, Flaboy, Sebastian Mack or McClendon actually win most of the starting minutes, you know, there'll be two guys who get most of the starting minutes at those two positions. If one of those guys besides Stefanovic or two of them uh, play starters minutes, to me, that's going to mean they are more worthy of being on the court in McCronin's mind than Stefanovic. And that's going to say a lot to me. Um, yeah, I mean, that'll mean – so if if we are sitting here in February watching uh, Jan Vide and Ilan Fabloy play, I don't know, 25-plus minutes per game, that's going to mean very good things, uh, more than likely, for March um, because well, they will have gotten ready by that point. Right, and going along that toughness criteria, I've heard from a few sources that Jan Vide is a tough mother. <laughs> And that is another reason why Cronin really prioritized him recruiting internationally. I've seen Sebastian Mack play a number of times. He was, if you remember, I think I brought this up a few times, he was one of my guys to start at the start of the 2023 recruiting cycle. At, in spring, I was including him in every single one of you, <laughs> the updates I did on 2023 UCLA basketball recruiting when they weren't really recruiting him that much, saying, watch out for Sebastian Mack. They, they could end up circling back to him. Um, and a lot of that was because of the motor and the toughness. Um, yep. I, the, I, I'm, I, Fabloy has the most talent among those guys. So right now, that's edging. I don't know about his toughness. That's edging it out for me. But I'd say watch out for Jan Vide to potentially end up getting a lot of minutes, even totally, not only backing up Dylan Andrews, but at the two alongside him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. And then, um, okay, so here's the thing. We can't talk about the UIP, UIP. in any real way. Um, so let's talk about the five split um, and kind of... Uh, we so can Adele- say this. We can say this because we've already said it. The UIP will do a lot of, if they get him, and it looks very promising, will do a lot of time at that power forward, wing forward spot. Let's just right. say that. So, because it's ridiculous to talk about, speculate about other things if we're not using that as a basis. Yeah. And so there are, we've talked, we, we did a show about the Bona, Mara, uh, and I wrote a story about it and how they could play alongside each other. Um, more I think about it, um, there's going to be advantages and disadvantages when they do that. Um, but I don't think it can last all that long. And you've seen in college basketball, Purdue did this a couple years ago, but when you have two really good centers, you just platoon them. Um, they each get 20 or 25 and 15 or whatever it is, and it works out totally fine. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how it looks by the time February or March comes around, um, I, I, given, I, given yeah. what Cronin likes to do defensively. I, I think, again, it's going to be very interesting. You have to go back to the... F- to what defensive coaches do. They feel they can get decent defense out of just about anyone they put on the court, but they're always lack they always feel they're lacking offensive punch. Um, when I throw up that 
depth chart roster and I list a Dembona at the wing forward spot, that throws everyone, you know, because they think, oh, dang, a Dembona is going to be uh, the four. That's not what that is. That's not what that is. Um, he is going to, I think, Cronin will be very compelled to play them together. A lot of it will be depending on matchups. Uh, two types of matchups. One, uh, other teams that have two bigs, uh, they'll match up really well against them. Or other teams, from a matchup standpoint, that a Dembona and a Daimara on the floor at the same time would just completely dominate. Uh, let's say a team that has a a 6'6 or 6'7, 200-pound power forward. And a lot of teams are doing that. It's one big and four perimeter guys. Just imagine you've got, and we've talked about this before, but I think we really need to talk about it, about these two guys being on the floor together. Adai Mara, who's 7'3", and he is going to be an offensive force. Um, he'll make some mistakes. He's going to travel. Um, he'll, he'll miss some shots, but he's going to be an offensive force. He's going to be such an offensive threat that other teams are going to struggle to match up with him. Um, they'll have to throw their biggest guy and their best post defender out there to try to slow him down in the post. So let's say the opposing team throws out their 6'10 guy against 7'3", Adai Mara. Right there, he probably will have a matchup advantage on uh, UCLA's offensive side of the floor. Then you have a Dembona at the four with a guy on the other team who's either tall, 6'8", and really slow, or 6'7", more athletic, but just, I mean, a Dembona is 240 pounds. What Mick Cronin can do with that is really phenomenal. I, I mean, a Daimara might draw double teams. Yeah, double teams, and then you've got a Dembona on the other block or facing up, and he's one dribble away from the basket against a 6'7", 200-pounder, the matchups there are are pretty enticing. And I would bet, too, there might be a feeling that a Daimara plays on the floor with a Dembona along with the UIP um, because of the extreme offensive mismatches that that would present. Uh the height and the scoring ability within 15 feet and even extended out to three would be pronounced. And I would not doubt that those ideas are going through Mick Cronin's head right now because I, I know the way defensive coaches think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I get that. I, I'm saying by the time February comes around and he realizes none of that shit works. Um... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Because you're going we'll to have, have a lot of foul trouble. Uh, it's a Pac-12. This isn't uh, NBA refing. Um, you're going to have Adai Mara getting like three quick fouls in the first three minutes of a game because uh, he's whoever he's guarding or a Dembona's, you know, getting a bunch of fouls and you'll end up platooning him. Um, now, that being said, there will be minutes per game where this is happening, where they are going to be able to take advantage offensively. But there's going to be... The trade-offs defensively are going to be substantial because there's ways to hide um, uh, a mediocre athlete or an average athlete in Cronin's system who's the right size for his position. I'm not sure there's a way to hide um, a, let's say, a big UIP at the three when he's maybe having to go against a 6'3 or 6'4 guard. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I was going – I was really – just ready to pounce on you because without the UIP at the three, let's just talk about Mara at Mara and Bono on the court at the same time. Why that enables them to play maybe extended minutes. A Dembona can guard any four easy. He has the foot speed, the, the lateral quickness to be able to guard a four. I, I think a Dembona would effectively be able to guard even like a bigger, three but let's just comfortably say and agree i think you'd agree that he can guard college fours 
Yeah, the I think he can guard them. Uh, the the problem is again fouls uh, because I think you're going to still run into situations where he is. So he's an energetic defender, and he was still not getting the benefit of the doubt at the end of last season. Um, his foul rate was. Uh, the highest on the team of anybody who played real minutes. Um, it will be really interesting, though, because, of course, he drew those fouls being a post defender. So what I see his type of defense, he'll try to stay in front of someone. But if someone turns a corner on him, yeah, it's not over. <laughs> no, totally. And he can get You try blocks. to lay that ball up. He's he's probably that's just a trap because he's going to have a really good chance of swatting that thing away. Yeah. Um the the other one is Mara, even guarding whoever he's going to end up guarding defensively. It's still, I mean, it's it's college basketball in your freshman post. I think expecting him to be, you know, That's the more valid point by far. Yeah. Yeah. Um not that your other a, points weren't valid, Dave. There's just there's there's complicating factors where I think we're talking a lot about a situation that is going to be on the floor for I don't know between eight and twelve minutes a game at the beginning of the season and probably never much more than that. I'll tell uh, you that though. Just keep this in your mind as you're watching Mick Cronin and, and that little genius brain of his, you know, processing things. He's thinking he want he is going to be fighting against wanting to do this the whole season. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, yeah, so uh, bonus foul rate last year, that was sophomore Cody Riley-esque. Do you guys remember sophomore Cody Riley? <laughs> I tend to block things out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was... I miss... Yeah. Hey, overall, I miss Cody Riley. Cody Riley was a good Bruin. Yeah, oh, totally. But uh, he, he, fouled, he fouled a whole lot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, and then the, the point guard stuff... So this is a question, Tracy. Dave. Dylan Andrews obviously starting. Um, I'm not sure Will McClendon isn't getting the most of his minutes as a backup point guard. Oh, I think that's going right to Jan Vide. You think it's going 100% to Vide, no question about it? Most. I think that's the intention going Who, into this Who's going to turn over the ball less? Uh, Jan Vide. He, he has handled the ball and been a lead guard uh-huh. On an international level, Will McClendon has not. Will, Will McClendon, McClendon is not a ball handler. Will McClendon's turnover rate last year was one of the lowest on the team. It was, but he didn't handle the ball. He did. Nah, he, he played, didn't. He, he didn't bring up ball. He didn't handle the ball. He just didn't turn it over in the half court. Uh, I, I mean, you put the ball in his hands to bring it up, teams are going to go, <laughs> well, let's press and double him because he's going to turn that thing over. Jan Vide is six four and a half to six five, a big strong kid with a good handle. Will he's McClendon a, he's a freshman. I get it. Will McClendon is six two and a half without a fantastic handle. Uh, I oh you can go for McClendon, I'll say Vide. I, I think I think McClendon's gonna get quite a bit of I think at some point during the year, Tracy, uh Dylan Andrews is gonna go out with foul trouble and we're gonna watch Mo, Will McClendon run the point for like fifteen minutes. Oh, I don't think that at all. Uh, I, I also might have a little inside information that I know the staff loves Vide. So I, I I get that, and I'm telling you, he's a freshman, yeah, and he's going to turn the ball over a lot, and they're going to quickly be like, okay, we can't turn the ball over like that because Mick's going to, you know, and I'm saying lose that the last remaining hair. McClendon will turn the ball over at a higher rate as if he's tasked with handling it. Yeah, I don't think so. He's a, he he had five total turnovers last year. He didn't year. handle the ball. He didn't handle the he didn't he didn't function as a point guard. He didn't bring the ball up from the baseline to the half court. What happened? Uh, not much. It happened as much as it happened less than Jaime Hawkins doing it. I mean, he, it didn't he happen. He had the much. Uh, he had the fourth highest assist rate on the team. That still doesn't cover his ball handling. Just saying. <laughs> Just it's saying. Okay. There. Um there. So the rest of the we talked about in the post uh, what will be interesting to Ken uh, Nuba in his super senior year. Uh, I thought Ken turned in a good season last year, a solid season. He, he fulfilled a role in, in just about the, what you would want him to do and then showed even more flashes toward the end of the season. Uh, depending on matchups again, he's a good option to have off your bench, especially 
behind Bona and Mara. Because as you, let's just play this out. Mara picks up two, three quick fouls. Bona comes in, picks up his second foul. You've got a super senior, Ken Uba, who will be ma- able to match up against, as he's shown over his career, a majority of college fours defensively. Um, yeah. There are, I mean, once they get into the Elite Eight of the tournament, there will be matchups he can't handle. But for the majority of the teams they're going to face, he's going to be able to defend. When and, he's getting, and he's put into his his ideal role. Last yeah. year, he was not in his ideal role. He was the main backup big. Being the third big makes a ton of sense for him. That's exactly what he should be at this point in his career for a really, really, really good UCLA team. Um so it's great. He'll you know he'll average a, probably like seven or eight minutes a game, and he's going to play well in those seven to eight minutes. Yeah, uh, I don't see Devin Williams getting much time. Uh, he's a real developmental uh, post. I've watched him a lot. Uh, I, it will. It's going to be very interesting to watch whether Devin Williams. Uh, becomes a player at UCLA. He has the tools. He's, from what we've heard, he's grown. He's at least 6'10". Um, he has the athleticism. He's really thin. Uh, doesn't have a lot of weight in his lower body. He could get bumped out of position in high school and on the AAU level. So it's going to be a matter of him putting on a lot more weight and strength before he's really able to play significant minutes. Um, he, This is a big element whenever I talk to anyone about him. He opted to go to UCLA because he wanted to embrace the, the whole toughness of being in the UCLA basketball program. He... Uh, Corona Centennial, one of the best high school programs in California over the last many years, their coach is similar to Mick Cronin. Devin, I think Devin Williams at one point even cited it in an interview that he's very, he's very familiar with it and he likes the way it challenges him. Give the kid a lot of credit. Oh yeah, for that um, because he has to know now, right now. I'm. Sh- I take that back. Every kid's delusional. I'm sure he thinks he's going to be better than a Daimara, but um, it will it will sink in at one point that he's probably not going to play much. Uh, the one thing he has going for them, well, not one, but the predominant thing he has going for them in in him for him developing as a UCLA player is that mental toughness of being able to improve and get better in a Mick Cronin style program um brandon williams i'm higher on brandon williams six seven to six eight big kid probably already 215 pounds uh traditional old style power forward um can can score has nice post moves good footwork has a nice promising touch um it'll be It'll be very interesting to see if he actually gets minutes next season. Uh, I think his future might be dependent a bit on uh, what I see him being is, is basically Jaime Hawkes. I mean, he's going to be an undersized for like Hawkes was at UCLA. Um, But to be able to do that, he needs to be able to defend uh, effectively, I think he might have a better chance of defending a four than a younger Jaime Hawkes because he's bigger, he's bigger and stronger. Um, but also being able to match up against quicker uh, small forward types will probably determine just how much playing time he gets and how much his offense develops. Yeah. Uh, the UIP, I mean, we're not going to talk in detail about him, but we've already said you know his playing style is a four. And yeah. he would play, he would play significant minutes next season. So we talked about in our little uh, three pointer how well crafted this um, roster would be for next season, putting all this together. I mean, there aren't too many. That lineup in the post 
you have Mara, Bona, Nuba, and then a developmental guy in Williams. In today's college basketball, when you really only have one post, it's really hard to get even three post players to to agree to come on your roster because they know there's only 40 minutes of a post player. Yeah. And they're going to have four, um, which is pretty phenomenal. To get a... I, I am completely of the mindset that if you have a traditional power forward, I, I don't like this one in and four out. I, I mean, I understand everyone's gone to it because they think, that, I mean, you know, that, that's the way the NBA's going. That's the way college players want to play. That's the way basketball has evolved. But if you get a really good traditional power forward, he's going to destroy, who can defend like a, a smaller power forward, today's power forward, he's going to kill it. He'll just post up that 6'7", 210-pound guy all day long. The UIP has a chance to be that guy. I'll just say that. Um, yeah. And then I'm really high on Dylan Andrews. I'm really looking forward to his sophomore year. He shot the ball really well towards the end of the season. Not high volume, but he still went in a lot. Maybe will be the best point defender of the point guard position since Darren Collison as a junior. Um, I'm really high on him. I think he's going to have a breakout season. He's going to be one of those guys that you just say, oh, oh my gosh, for play after play. And then this whole wing rotation, there's a lot of talent there. I like you got the experience with Stefanovic, the high end of Flaboy, and then those other guys. If they were going to find someone in the transfer portal, it it, I, it would be either that two guard, it'd be a two, three, a two or a three or a two, three. Um, and I'm having on really good authority. Uh, they wanted, they would want a graduate transfer um, if they were going to, add one more guy because if there is one element of this team that is worrisome, it is young. <laughs> it is very young. So you'd want more, uh, experience, more, uh, you know, stability from an older player. Um, but I, I like, I like how this roster was put together. Yeah. The one thing I'd say about adding another guy at this point is, um, you really have to start assessing fit. Uh, and it's not just fit in terms of play style. Um, there's a lot of young guys on this team that are going to be fighting for minutes already. Um, and uh, there's also going to be like potential for a lot of these guys leaving after this year for the NBA or other avenues. And I think if you add a grad transfer this year that's going to further depress minutes for a lot of these guys, you have to be absolutely 100% sure of the upside for this year's team to make that worth it. For, um, for the transfer, too, because he's going to come in. Most transfers want to come in and know that they have 30 minutes waiting for them. Yeah, but that's the functionality. But saying you can get one, um, you got to be sure you actually want that. Uh, because there's something to be said for Cronin just went through a cycle of guys. He went through a four-year cycle of his core. He now has to start another cycle of guys. And if you, if you try to band-aid over something that might not even turn out to be a big problem, right? The fact that you don't have experience, well, there'll be experience by January. Um, you might be actually inhibiting that future growth um, over the next few years because some of those guys who, who you know, might not get minutes, they might be a little cheesed off. They might decide to enter the portal after this year. Yep. So, uh, And we also have to mention probably another thing uh, I, you're completely right. Chemistry fit is probably the top priority. And then maybe uh, um, sec, uh, right alongside uh, experience. And then third, ideally, you'd want like a 40% three-point shooter. If there's yeah, something I mean, else they, that might be lacking, it would be three-point shooter. Cam Spencer was the big guy. Like that would have been a really nice get because it fits – it makes sense from a defensive standpoint, and it also makes sense from a, a three-point shooting standpoint. You're adding things that you don't necessarily have at that position. But I'm saying what you're talking about is a really good point. Cam Spencer probably would have played a lot 
He would have. He would have and started he and played cheesed, thirty minutes. He might have cheesed off some of these guys. But what I and but this is where the trade offs come in because a Cam Spencer, you add that to this roster, that might take him over the top to being again uh, by the time March rolls around a Final Four contender. Yeah. It has to be that level of player to make that trade off worth it. It yeah. has to be that level of uh, roster fit to make that trade off worth it. And so I think at this point, once you're dealing with the 13th scholarship, you have to be really judicious about what that is. If it's not a developmental guy, and at this point you're not getting it, there's no point in taking a developmental guide in the transfer uh, developmental guy in the transfer market. Um, probably just sit on it. There's probably a, just yeah. There's another possibility too, and we saw that come up this week. Chris Johnson, I think it was a top 30 national player, 2023, who had committed to Kansas, decommitted. UCLA had uh, recruited him before. He said UCLA had reached out to him. Uh, just, uh, I mean, he's a good player. I've seen him, and I've heard he, he's a he's a decent kid. But there are there would be fit issues, and just to take one more freshman. Yeah, no, I would. It's pass. just too much. It's too much. So, if there are going to be any other twenty twenty three guys who decommit, um, that's U.S. players. They would have to be they'd have to be really good fits and and I don't see it happening just because one of the element of just one more freshman that's just too much. No, I'd be I would be if it's not an impact transfer who's immediately going to take the roster up a notch, right? Like immediately going to take it to a final four level. The only way I would spend that scholarship is if somehow some way some weird possibility where you add a guy to redshirt him. Like, I don't think there's anything else that makes sense where you're not creating more problems than you solve. Besides that experienced grad transfer. Well, that's what I'm saying is if you can add a guy who takes you up a level, but even if it's just experience for experience's sake, I wouldn't take him. I think you need to have a you need to have a a framework for how you're looking at it where, okay, we're going to add a guy. Yeah, he has experience, but he's not a great shooter or he's not a good defender or whatever, but he brings experience. Well, you don't need that. You need, if you're going to take a transfer, it needs to be a guy who is going to come in day one, start for you, and take you up to a Final Four level team. So, yeah, um, I I said this week, first I hinted and then pretty much said, uh, there could be something breaking with the UIP, the remaining UIP. Uh, I thought it could be this week, but as I said, uh, I'm not going to use that word, but it's ever-changeable. there are so many factors with international prospects and we've gotten into them and I don't want to laundry list them, but that is something that could be happening soon. You know, you know, what's really interesting too is, so if this happens, UCLA will effectively have, well, are we considering Stefanovic and Bona as their international players, right? Yeah, they're, so we have one, two, three, four, five, we've got six guys, right? Six international players. Against Arizona, <laughs> I think they're at probably more than that for next season. Hang on. Are you including Nuba? Oh, let's include Okay, that's seven. So it is going to be a, a clash of international all-star teams, which I think is kind of fun, personally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I... I <laughs> and it's sending a message to, I think, if you're a, if you're a high schooler, you think you're all that, you're looking at UCLA and Arizona and saying, wow, they have decided to go international, and why is that? Because recruiting American players is depressing. <laughs> yeah. The, the, and there's a – I mean, there's, that's a broader conversation for a, probably a different show, but, um, you know, what that – because I don't think anybody looks at that and says, well, this is good. Like, this is a great state of the things and ideal. Because um, I think if, if you ask Mick Cronin, um, what would he rather do uh, if all the other things were equal? Would he rather recruit his own backyard or the backyards of Spain? He'd probably take his own backyard, even though, it, you know, that recruiting visit to Spain is probably pretty fun. Um, because it's easier. And uh, the problem is the 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 surrounding BS, um, but we should do a whole thing on that. Yeah, we have a lot uh, to because ultimately it is it is big, it is now to the point where it ultimately isn't easier. That's the thing, which is yeah, amazing. It's not yeah, yeah someone because, in your own backyard the, is more difficult than than a recruit in Spain. 
That's yeah, a, I mean, who, the, whose transcripts and and team and contracts are a nightmare, and it's easier to recruit that guy than someone in your own backyard these days. And the thing is, uh, that was from a from a lot of angles. That was even true five years ago. Like in UCLA, just wasn't you know equipped necessarily to do international recruiting. But like the babysitting you have to do of high school prospects even five years ago was insane. And now when you add NIL to it, it is. Well, that, that brings up a, a really good point, too, because, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be candid with you. Uh, Mick Cronin spends a lot of time speaking to donors. He did it before NIL. He's doing it post-NIL. Um, he, uh, as head coaches, of course, can talk to donors. Um, they can't talk directly about specifics of NIL, but... How you do in generating NIL money is a lot of whether your head coach is schmoozing donors. Um, Cronin is excellent at it. Uh, I, uh, I know this firsthand. Um, hypothetically, what makes more sense for him to go out to, let's say, this tournament this weekend and watch 15-year-olds or spend time talking to donors, which will help him raise NIL money? Uh, and I mean, that's where answer. recruiting is these yeah, days. Yeah, it's an obvious answer. Because those 15-year-olds, when you get to the point where you're serious about them, are going to want a lot of NIL money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right, we got to move on. We got to move on. We got to move on. Should we on move to football crazy. or just make this purely basketball? We did promise. I did promise it. Okay. We don't have to spend much time on it. Um, we were going to talk about Jaime and Jalen, too. Yeah, really fast. Uh, we just wanted to give another um, appreciation uh, moment. Jaime Hawkins is now being projected like in the twenties of the first round. Comfortably in the first round. Wow. I mean, not even a fringe year, guy. Four year guy. I don't know. Are there any other four year guys that are in the top twenty five projected in this draft? I have no idea. Wow. Um, what a what a testament to so many things. And like I just read the athletic article with its projected, and it said. This the writer was very confident that once he starts doing workouts and he gets in a room and he's talking to the coaches that Jaime Hawkes is going to blow them all away when he uh, his knowledge of the game, you know, and a lot of that is Cronin, but a lot of that is Jaime too. So just a testament to so many for so many kids to take note of. Uh, Jaime Hawkes spending four years, Dave. How many millions of dollars will he have added? <laughs> Well, and this this last season where he came back and, and the choice was made for him a little bit by the ankles, but what a smart choice um, to to come back for the fourth year, show what he can do when he's fully healthy, um, you know, regain some of that explosion from his first couple of years. Um, I mean, his rebounding rate jumped out this year. Um, his ability to get up, his ability to get vertical, uh, rebound the offensive and defensive glass. Um, you know, that's a big part of, I think, why his, his stock has risen quite a bit is that he showed this past year what he can do when he's healthy um, and all of that. And, you know, measuring in, we talked about after the combine, but, you know, measuring in at uh, the true 6'6", um, all that stuff. I think there were a lot of physical factors that play into this, but then you add to it just his knowledge of the game um, and his attitude and all that stuff that, you know, all the stuff that got him on the floor as a true freshman um, and got him starting by like his seventh or eighth game uh, for Mick Cronin, uh, you know, that's that, that's going to impress until he's 40 uh, on these teams. So I think he's going to be a guy with a long, long career. He's going to impact winning, which is something Cronin has said for, you know, the last four years. Um, but it's awesome to see. Uh, he should absolutely, you know, that's, that's a testament to him, but it's also like, you know, if the NBA, you know, doesn't get too entranced by like, you know, very, very uh, obvious high level athletes, um, guys like Hawkins should always go, you know, somewhere in the first round because, uh, you know, very impressive player. And then Jalen Clark, which, by the way, we said at, at least a few weeks ago that the feeling now, the ind he was getting indications that he would be he would be drafted and. I remember that thread. There were some people who poo-pooed me and said, oh, Tracy, you know what you're talking about. But now we're seeing projections where he is getting taken late in the draft. I'm and shocked. I, I'm, I'm, I was surprised when I heard it, and I still am, but I'm, I'm happy for him. Um, oh, way happy. I having, hope, I, having, 
what happened to him? And I still get that image of him when it, his Achilles popped and he was yep. walking and he put his head down in the chest of coach Rod Palmer, just how heartbreaking that is. Um, and that, that, that little film reel keeps going off in my mind. Uh, just that he would be able to get drafted and there's going to be a franchise that has faith in him to take him late in the second round. And I, I think it's not that, I mean, it's a roll of the dice, but it's not that big. A lot of times um, NBA franchises use their late second rounds on things like this. And I think he's a good bet. Yeah, agreed. All right. And then uh, we want to touch on a little bit of football. Okay, just a little. Just a little bit. Um, so we're doing our uh, 30 most important Bruins. Started that whole process. Because um, the season is, I don't know if anyone's paying attention. Uh, fall camp's going to start in what? And you're going to hate me for saying fall camp, but that's what they all call it. So it doesn't matter. August camp. In like five weeks. I'll tell uh, you this, though. I'm looking at our numbers. We're having more interest on the site in football right now. Than we have since the beginning of the Mora era, just by the way. So there is a lot of interest in football right now, Dave. Yeah, totally. Um, but uh, still, I mean, the reality that, uh, you know, uh, camp begins in about five weeks is that's that's a little stunning just to me. Ah, I'm um, kind of excited. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry for being excited. You know, you can be excited. Thank you. That's fine. Thanks. I like, I like excitement. So top um, 30. 30 this will be an interesting Bruins. year because Dave we I mean it was always the first five or six was always pretty I mean it was always you know during it's always the quarterback Robinson. or whoever um, so this year just to give everyone a sneak preview uh, there are four different so we had eight people um, uh, submitting their entries and there were four different number ones that's cool that's pretty cool did we anyone have the same that. number one that I had Nobody had your number one and nobody had my number one. But we did not have the same number one. And your number one was my number two. And I really struggled and argued with myself in my multiple personality state over those two. My my number four was your... No, my number... Yeah, your number one was my number four. Yeah. Um, but yeah. my top four all could have been pretty interchangeable. Yeah. I, I, you know what? Let's not. I'm going to reveal my number one. Should I? Because yeah. it's yeah, fun. Give, give everyone a sneak peek. I put J. Michael Sturdivant as number one. Yep. And the reason I did is because I think he's the most talented player on the team. From what I saw in spring. Yep. Uh, he's he's a high draft NFL draft choice. He is going to make such. Uh, there were things we saw from him this spring, and and he wasn't even completely unleashed because. You got to bring him in slowly so you don't piss off all the other receivers. But they couldn't contain that. He, what he did was some of the things he did were just next level. How he so effortlessly runs by DBs. Well, it looked like an NFL player at times against college DBs. Yep. Um, he is so good. You are, he is going to have a major impact that ripples throughout this team. There is you're going to be working in a new starter at quarterback that I think your running game is your running game, but he's going to need a go-to receiver that he's going to be looking for, that he's going to use as a crutch. And dang, this is the guy. If you ever, if you ever needed a guy as a go-to crutch as a receiver, it's this guy. So he's going to make, he's going to make the quarterback look better. Whoever that is, he's going to take because of that, that reliability, he's going to take a lot of pressure off the running game. So if the offense is top 25, and I think Sturdivant is the key to it, that takes a lot of pressure off of the defense also. I think he's, of course, the quarterback is huge this season. But I put Sturdivant number one because I think how talented he is and how his impact ripples through the effectiveness of this team, I, I, he was the most important guy to me. Yeah, I think that's fair, um, and I think there's a totally good and justifiable case that you just made for him, number one. Um, and I think the situation where he ends up number one is a very good situation for UCLA this season because um, that means that he has taken the top off the defense several, several times uh, throughout the year. 
just some, you know, some light hits. Uh, top five, uh, there will be four offensive players in the top five, um, which on a team with uh, with some question marks defensively both rings true and is also a little disconcerting. And just so you know, too, this isn't the most talented players. Again, we have to emphasize this is the most important guys. So that doesn't mean it's one of the best players on the team necessarily. It might be like he's a key starter and there's no one behind him. And if he gets injured, you're screwed. It's, yeah, it's most say, important. And I would say two of the top five definitely fit more that bill than the other. Yes. Um, so it's, it's an interesting list this year. This is probably the year where it's been most uh, fun and also where you'll see like up through like, I think the top 10 is where you finally start getting everyone has ranked this guy pretty consistently. But even in like the teens, there's a lot of this guy's unranked by like two people um, because there's still a lot of unknowns. Um, there's still a lot of, um, you know, this guy might need to step up into a bigger role. He might need to perform better. And then I think there's, you know, everyone has their different sense of what does most important mean. And so for some of these guys, it's like, well, he's important because of the position he plays, but he's not very good. So it's there's a little bit of that going on. Um, I don't know. I think it's going to be very and then, interesting. And then how about the quarterbacks? Uh, you kind of had to decide. Who, who you think is going to start. Who you think is going to start. And even so, you had to give a little bit of uh, ranking uh, to the other one. power to the other guy because he might win it or they might end up in some kind of one might get injured. The other, This is an impact on the entire season. So where who you decide is going to start and, and where does the other guy rank? Too. Yeah. I mean, we're talking mostly, but we're talking completely about Ethan Garbers and Dante Moore. Right. They were the only two quarterbacks ranked by Let anybody. me ask you this. Among the eight people, and if you could review this really fast, not giving away the ranking, the number specifically, but who had Ethan Garbers basically starting and Dante Moore starting? All right. So of the Ethan Garbers starters, I would say you, me, uh, Mike. Three. Uh, Alex. Ooh, uh, you were giving names away. Four. You didn't want me to give up away names? No, I don't care. Uh, Osgood. Five. Uh, and... Where's Mr. And, Evergreen? And Patrick. Uh, John Evergreen uh, John Evergreen did not, and uh, neither did neither did uh, Blair and Gulo. So those two, Evergreen and Gulo, had Dante Moore as the starter. Correct. Okay, that's interesting. Yep. So there's there's some. I mean, John some, Evergreen is a well known. Uh, you know, he's a he's a contrarian. He is no, a but he, he loves a heterodox recruiting. thinker. He loves recruiting too. So the two recruiting guys went for Dante Moore. Oh, you've heard that about John Evergreen that he likes recruiting. Oh, you didn't know that? Yeah, he's super into it. He's um, he's into it. Yeah. He's been on the forum. He's been on Bro for t- over twenty years. Easily. Wow. He doesn't post a lot. No, he doesn't John post Evergreen. a lot. But no. he's been on, I mean, he's one, and, you know, he's very good at, he's, let's just say, you know, he does this, he does recruiting on that side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a, Some as, sort of pseudonym. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it is? Because he, he wouldn't want to give away uh, his real name of John Evergreen. <laughs> Why that name? Anyway. Okay. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that is it for us. We turned a uh, uh, pretty much a nothing into an hour of whatever. We content. went over what we usually do. Yeah, we had so much. To that do. always happens. Well, we talked about wires and gremlins. And that was only eight minutes, man. That's yeah. Good. So we did well. Congratulations, yeah. Dave. You're my hero. Yeah. Well, you're mine. Ah. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Bruin Report Online. We'll talk to you again next time. See y'all.